Welcome to Season 2 with Dr. Annette West. This show is coming to you from a holistic and faith-based view, sharing varied topics, occasional interviews, and discussions. The purpose of this show is to help us to build up our mind, our body, and our spirit. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Sax Love for allowing this show use of his jazz instrumental, Funk Jazz. Now, let's get started with Dr. Annette West's topic for today. Hi everyone, Dr. Annette West here. Whew. Last week's interview was so powerful that we had to have Michelle E. Dickinson come back again to share with us. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me back, Dr. Annette. So last week, Michelle covered a lot of ground in talking a bit about her book, Breaking Into My, Into My Life where she basically counsels her own self <laughs> in her reflection of her childhood and things that impacted her. But she also shared a lot of bit about her passion for mental health, being an advocate in that field, and, and how she has been helping so many people through the years as well as our young people. And so today, I really wanted her to kind of share some more from her experiences and to kind of start out by sharing with us um, one of the things that she does talk about is proactively shaping our youth relationship to mental health. And as we talked about last week, too often it's a topic that is not discussed. And so, Michelle, I want you to just jump in and I just want to share, want you to share with us from your knowledge how we can, what we need to know about how this impacts our youth and how we can help them. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity and, and for allowing me to share some of my thoughts. So yes. yeah, mental health with our youth. I mean, when you look at the statistics, they're very they're very sobering, Dr. Nett. Like suicide is the third leading cause of death for 15 to 20 year olds, according to the CDC. And that's after accidents and homicide. It also is uh, thought that at least 25 attempts are made for every completed teen suicide. Wow. So, so that's scary, right? Yes. And according to the World Economic Forum, half of all mental illness begins at the age of 14, but most cases go undetected and untreated. So that's why we have such an incredible opportunity to make a real difference for our youth. 
as you said, proactively shape the relationship to it. Because at that age, they're in such a, um, a place where we can have them relate to mental illness and mental health. It's just brain health. It's something that's just something they're comfortable talking about. Because in times of stress and anxiety and uncertainty, we want them to have the courage to raise their hand and ask for help. Mm. So, so yeah. And, and it's, it's the asking for help and the courage and the normalizing mental health, you know, feelings and emotions that will really make all the difference and really prevent them from suffering in silence and isolation and shame. Um, because we all know how hard it is to be a, a kid nowadays, especially in the world of social media, uh, where everyone's constantly comparing themselves and bullying and, and all of it. So, so what I created was a children's wellness program that we deliver uh, to middle school kids it's okay. a mental health wellness fair yes where we really just we want kids to to kind of get some tools and techniques and just get regrounded in some of the basics like gratitude and empathy and compassion and understanding their feelings and their emotions and understanding what the power of their breath and breathing and meditation can do in times of stress and, and anxiety. So, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm up to. I really want to make a difference. We don't have enough states that have mandated mental health as a curriculum in the schools. And I want to make a difference while, while they're working on that. And it's really unfortunate that um, it's not being addressed more because I, I had read an article that talked about it's a, there's a crisis of youth mental health. And yeah. if there's a crisis, why isn't it being addressed more? It's so true. It's so true. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's too many teen suicides. And, and unfortunately, that's what has individual schools pay attention and individual communities pay attention is unfortunately at the point where they're where they feel it. And it's like, gosh, if we could just get in there and give them tools and techniques and and um, have them have a healthy relationship to mental health, we set them up for success. I mean, yes. from the stress of high school to college, we set them up better. And, and I want to—I I believe we all should be doing something about it. And it's good that you are that you have. And so we were talking about how. Um, one in five children has a diagnosable mental health condition. And the fact that um, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for those between the ages of 10 and 34. And I, I, I was also looking at the fact that mental illness exacts a really absorbent cost to our society. What's your perspective on this? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if we if we do a better job of, you know, the proactive side of mental health and remove the stigma and have people more openly talking about it and then getting the help that they need. I think that that's the first step. I mean, of course there's going to be an expense. Of course there is. I mean, I don't want to debate our healthcare system. This isn't, you know, for individually for, for us to try to fix the challenge. I mean, that is a reality to care. Access to care is absolutely a reality and a challenge. But I think for me, um, what I would say to that is, is obviously accessibility is vital, but the, the challenge is, is no matter how much is available, if people are afraid and they're embarrassed, they're never going to reach out and try to get any kind of care. And that is 
where we have the opportunity with stigma to remove that stigma to make a to make a real difference so people feel comfortable seeking out care whatever it is whether it's a counselor or a therapist you know what i mean yeah i actually i do and i guess um i would assume that a lot of people it's like if we can't see it then we don't really acknowledge it maybe sometimes or when we do see it, it's not consistent. So maybe we don't have to pay as much attention to it. So it kind of reminds me of like, if somebody says they have cancer, people get, oh my God, they have cancer. Oh, they have heart. Oh my God, they have heart disease. They have diabetes. But we're saying, look, this person has a mental illness and people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. But it is so, it is impacting our, it is impacting our society and our children at a staggering rate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, somebody said to me once, when you hear of a loved one that's that's gotten the diagnosis of cancer, you have no problem bringing them a casserole and providing your support and helping them. Mm-hmm. But when someone gets diagnosed with a mental illness, no one touches it. No one wants to talk about it. And I think the first thing we need to do is have people get that it's just brain health. It's an organ. It's just another organ. And if we strategize when we get a diagnosis of heart disease, and if we strategize with our loved ones around diabetes, why are we not openly talking about brain health and saying, so what are you doing? What are your techniques? What are your strategies? You see your therapist, you exercise, you make sure you get sleep, you're having yourself maintain a good diet. Why are we not having those kinds of strategy discussions around brain health? See, that's where the greatest opportunity is. So would you call that like, the, okay, we know it exists, but we're not doing anything. So that means there's a treatment gap that exists because we know, but we're not putting forth the needed effort to ensure that we can get a handle on this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. If you don't talk about it, you're never going to get anywhere with it. If you ignore it, fluff it under the carpet, then you, then, you know, then there's the continued you know, paradigm of isolation and fear and and being ashamed. I was reading, I was reading something that said, if the government won't do what it needs to do, private philanthropy would be, would be a great way to go. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's actually my children's program is that that's actually how it was born out of a give back to the community where it wasn't an expense to anyone to bring children these additional skills. And the original program that was created was for underserved communities, the communities that the children don't have access to things like yoga, meditation, um, those types of skills, because it's just not easily accessible and and there's an expense to it so i think absolutely there there's organizations and there's people i mean nami does wonderful work the national alliance for mental illness they do a lot of great work in the community um to help support mental health programs and help people access resources and how to support their loved one so absolutely hands down Good, good. That's good. So um, in respect to your program and other programs, I'm assuming that um, when resources come in, it kind of does a couple of things or maybe more than a couple, but it helps with um, maybe physical accessibility of what is needed for these people, um, financial affordability, and then the acceptability of them having an issue and being a part of what's going on. And I would assume those are the things that you focus on. 
Yeah, well, for the for the children's program, um, the the way that it's delivered is, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, we look for local donors to help us. Mm-hmm. Um, community supporting community, right? That's mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if community supports community, we all win. So it is a community-based program. It's delivered in a school. What we love to do is to train the students to deliver the program to their peers. You have oh, this peer I like peer that. Interaction, which is just wonderful. Yeah. And then, and then the kids then go on and, and even teach other schools, under underclassmen the concepts and so then you really have what you're, you're really coordinating the community to help each other which is wonderful um and it's all you know pretty affordable and donated by the community which is awesome so when when you're working with with the youth are you doing um individual and group or just one or the other so the way the program works is a one-day health health and wellness fair. Okay. And so we grab uh, maybe like the 30, maybe the honor students or students that have been selected by um, by, by the school uh, as the leaders. They mm-hmm. want them to, to be the leaders of the program. We train them in the program, and then we ask them to shape it. We give them the ability to shape it. So they reach their peers, you know, they know what their peers are going to, what's going to resonate with their peers. So we we give them the ability to further shape it so that they engage their peers in a way that's meaningful. And then we support them in delivering that health and wellness care for one day. And the entire school population circulates through that experience and comes away with tools that they then can take into the home. And that is followed up by a parent education session where the, the, um, parents learn with the children gathered from the wellness fair and they can support those new tools and and ideas in the home uh, as a family and and really support each other's well-being okay that's that's good um i i'd be trying to read up on stuff okay You know, I'll be trying. I don't think I'm an expert. I am not an expert in this area, but I sure could share some insight and direct people to the experts. I guess that's a good thing. That that, that would be good. So um, I know that there are some states that do have some some programs in place um, that uh, where, where the state has invested large sums of resources into increasing access, you know, um, to they call it evidence-based treatments, uh-huh. um, and they talk about psychotherapy. Share with us what they're talking about. Psychotherapy? Yeah, are you familiar with that? No, actually, you just taught me something. <laughs> well, I was looking at an article, and it was talking about Connecticut to be to be exact, to be mm-hmm. exact, and they were talking about um, that they have a a program called the Child Guidance Center of Southern Connecticut. And they were talking about the children that they serve and they talked about evidence-based treatment. And then they also talked about um, individual psychotherapy. And they talked about that, although it could be helpful, it's not as effective as evidence-based practice. So maybe the individual psychotherapy is maybe an old practice or something. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I came across that I was, I wrote some notes down, but I, I, I wrote down where I got it from. I was reading an article, I think it was back in April, I think it was, this from the Stanford Social Innovation Review. 
um, is what I was looking at. And they were talking about um, Center on Philanthropy and Civil Society and those kind of things. So I was just kind of looking at some articles that were in there. And then um, the article that um, popped up was called um, The Crisis of Our Youth Mental Health. Yeah, it's very real. Yeah. And the fact that we don't have enough seats that have a curriculum at the at the school level blows my mind. I really wish there were more, um, you know, just like you would take phys ed or you take, you know, physical health, you know, when you would go and take health class. Like, I really wish that was more um, part of the curriculum at the state level uh, so that this could be woven into the classroom. Yeah, so it sounds like... Um our children aren't leaving school with some basic things that they really should have to be able to tackle and go forward in the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, honestly, we all know teachers are, are pressed <laughs> to teach a lot of information to kids in a short amount of time. Um, but it's the soft stuff like this. How do I deal with anxiety? How do I deal with stress? How do I deal with feelings of inadequacy? How do I deal with overwhelm? I mean, those are the things that are going to um, really set them up for success, you know, in their older years. And that's, and that's good that you say that because then I was thinking about the, 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 the flip side or the, the extension of that is if it's not addressed while they are yet young and then they process through high school, maybe process through college, military and different things or just in the working world. And as they mature as an adult, there's always some disconnects in their dynamic because they have something innate. They have something within that was never addressed. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. It manifests. It just, you know, just like anything, you ignore it and you, you pretend you don't have anything wrong and it can manifest itself. And that's no way for anyone to, to live. I mean, it's just not right. And it was interesting. One of the things that I saw um, was talking about uh, approximately 80 million people have a mental health disorder. But in, yeah. res but in respect to it, it said out of these people, these providers, most of them don't treat children. And that's one of the reasons why only about 15 percent of children who need treatment, only 15 percent get it. So you have 100 percent, but only 15 percent get it. So that means there's an 85 percent population of young people who need assistance who never receive it. And that is so upsetting. You really, know, really, really. Yeah, you know, you, you hear the 15 and you say, oh, that's great. But like, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. That might be the good part. But look, the opposite side of that, there's 85% of our people who have who are disjointed moving through life. Yeah. I I remember yeah. I remember talking to this young this young man, and I always felt like something wasn't connected with him. Um like he was lopsided, you know, in the way he talked, in the way he engaged. And then once I talked to him, it came to the realization that he had been this way since he was a child, but his family just thought, oh, he's just different. Oh. He's just quiet. And so he was, he said he was always just left in the corner because he didn't bother anybody. So he winds, he winds up growing up pretty much by himself in the midst of people. Yeah. And so he has a hard time, like he can go to work and do what needs to be done but let's not talk about having no private or personal conversations or building personal relationships because he doesn't know how to be personable. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's, and so, I mean, there's so many, there's so many precursors to, yeah. to I mean, depression. And, 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 you know, it starts off with kids having the anxiety, having that competitiveness, that fear of failure, social anxiety, lack of confidence, all of that. If it's not addressed, if it's not really looked at, I mean, like, it's, it's, it, it's a precursor for depression. It's like we have to look at it. We have to understand what's going on with the quiet ones, you know? We have to understand what they need and get them what they need. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I get, I get, I try to stay very positive and optimistic. Right. But sometimes I just shake my head and I go, oh my goodness, how, this is the future. How, how do we not do anything? Yeah, why, why are we here in 2019? Yeah. And what is yeah. 20 and what is 2020 and forward going to look like? Yeah. If we don't if we don't have a handle on this. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So we need to remove the stigma. We need to elevate the education. And, and if the curriculum isn't there within the schools, then we need to do it for our communities and we need to do it for our youth. And we all need as adults. You know what they say, that it takes a village. Like, let's really get in there and, and, and shake some trees and make a difference and have kids get the tools they need um, and not just hope that everything's going to be okay. Um, God That's forbid good. it hmm. hits your community or your school where there's a little one who's so who's so de- depressed and disempowered that they that they have the courage to take their life. Like, God forbid that happens on, on our watch, you know? Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that would not be that would not that would not be good. I want to go back to your book, breaking okay. breaking into my life, and you said that you wrote the book to help yourself. So yes. as so so just assume that I've not read your book. I'm just saying, um, because I have read a good part of it. But just assume that I'm someone who hasn't read your book. Tell me, so tell us the listeners what we should expect from the book and how. It could benefit us and or our children mm-hmm. in moving forward. Yeah. If you don't have a relationship to mental health, and it's, it's hard to believe, right, that, that, you know, the average person wouldn't have some context around mental health, whether they, they were affected by it or a loved one was affected by it or a family member. But if you have no understanding or no relationship to mental health, my book it really was written in a way to humanize what mental health looks like and feels like from the lens of a child caregiver, because that was my role growing up, was to care for my bipolar mother and to put her needs before my own. And really, I try really hard to vividly demonstrate what that experience was like so that the reader can understand what it looked like and what it felt like. And maybe have a little bit more empathy and compassion and less fear around this whole thing called mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. So what I hope my readers take away is this was my experience. And as horrible in some cases as it was for me, it actually served me. I write an epilogue at the back of the book where I actually am able to say, yeah, some of this was horrible. But, you know, if I didn't experience that, I would not have these qualities that I now have and the incredible passion that I have to be a change agent around mental health. So it's a story of perseverance and triumph. And, you know, we all have a past and we all have experiences in our youth that shape us. 
mine happens to be the color of a bipolar mother. Someone else's color might be an alcoholic parent. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, I want people to get that they're not defined by that, that that's just what happened. And in the face of that, they get to say how the rest of their life goes. I like that. So there's more to the story to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. We get to create our future. We and and hopefully it leaves people uplifted um, with the story of perseverance and triumph. That if you can get through this and be okay and be out making a change in the world, then maybe I can be okay. And that's what I want my readers to get. I remember um, when I was young, I heard um, you know I used to hear this all the time. You know, if it didn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. <laughs> You know, it didn't kill you. You're just going to be stronger through it. And I remember I remember my grandmother saying one time, she said, no, you don't. We if we think about it, we would never pick and choose for anything to ever happen bad to us. Yeah. You know, if, if we had the option, we would just have these wonderful lives where everything just went right. But that's not the reality of life and living and the world that we're in. And so we have to say that even though. That might have, even though that might have been a um, a tough situation that arose, yeah. um, I'm processing through it or I've moved forward from it and I know that I'm going to be stronger as I come out of it. Meaning, you know, I know for myself, looking back, sometimes it seemed tough when I was in it, but I was out of it before I looked back and saw that I was out of it. So it's like, you just kind of process through some things, you muddle through some things and you get to a point where then you say, man, I'm already out of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I made it through as long as it doesn't, as long as you don't allow it to make you better and make you better, you know? And, 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 and I like that, you know, you have you have a mission, you have a purpose, you have a passion, you have talents, you have gifts, and you're utilizing all that you have to help others to be stronger in the process, to help others to to realize that, hey, I made it over, I made it through, and because I made it through, I'm a great example that it can be tough, but you can make it you can make it too. And so I love that you said, it's not like I'm going to do this on my own. You like, hey, we're going to do this together. Exactly. And, and, work, and work through this, this, this process. And I think that's so important to what you do is you let people know, hey, you are not alone. Right. Exactly. You're not. Nope. We all have stuff. We all have stuff. It's just how do we harness it? turn it into lemonade mm. well i do like lemonade so so, that, so so that that should be a good thing that should be a good thing and um you know um you also you also are in are you still in companies helping in companies consulting in companies now yeah, so my goal is to bring change to workplace cultures. So it can be a small company, a big company, but because I have at least two years in changing a corporate culture with mental health tools and resources and techniques, I want to share that with 
with organizations um, who are looking to create more compassionate environments. So absolutely, um, I, I love to talk to different organizations and share what I know and share resources and trainings and basically create strategies to help them you know, include those with mental illness, include more conversations so people feel like they can bring their authentic selves to work, you know, in a stigma-free environment and what steps they need to take to create that. That's good. And I know more more, more and more companies are have um, departments or entities that, that focus on health and wellness. And so this would just, this would be a significant element to fall right under that window and especially because people work in the co- in the company people already come there with baggage um while they're there they sometimes pick up other baggage <laughs> you know while they're there life life issues arise you know deaths divorces and all kind of things abusive relationships all of these things occur sometimes there's injuries in the work and different things and so to have an advocate or advocates that are available to help these people through the process is so important yeah i mean there's nothing better than having a colleague who's been where you were and has navigated it um, utilizing the tools and resources within your organization and can help someone um, on a peer level get from point A to point B. Um, and the way I see this, to be honest with you, Dr. Nat, is this is the last piece of the, diver- of the um, diversity and inclusion like circle of inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. You really want to have an inclusive environment. You include everybody. Yes. And that means people with physical disabilities, and that means people with mental disabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Physical and mental disabilities, that's real inclusion. And if you're not including that population, then you're missing out on really being an inclusive environment for your people. That's good. That's good. And and, and I, um, you have so much, you have so much to to offer and and you know i i believe greater even greater things are going to happen for you because you have a heart for what you are doing and so um i'm i am believing for you (laughs) that 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 greater that greater is coming so we have a few more moments together and i really want to allow you to um your book is on amazon correct it is it is and you can you can also get a free app excerpt um, of it on my website you would just go to um, so my, my website is michellee.dickinson.com you can learn about uh, me and my and my uh, programs that I offer um, my blog with information around you know different different pieces that, that you would want to consider um, but then also you can access my book there um, through Amazon and then you can also get a free excerpt on my book webpage which is breakingintomylife.com and your book is also, uh, you also have an ebook. I do. Yep. You can download it on Kindle. Um, you can also get the book on barnesandnoble.com. So for those of you who are like me, where all of your shelves are overflowing with books, <laughs> hard copy books, that ebook comes in handy. So if you don't want to get a book, get the ebook, but get the, get one of these. And make sure you read it and make sure you share it and make sure you encourage others as well. Go ahead, Michelle. Yeah. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, what I would love for people to know is like, 
you have the ability to make a difference, even if it's just with one person. And that's simply by asking each other how you're doing and yes. having each other's back. That's good. Because I tell you that if it, if somebody's having a day and someone just pauses and asks them how they're doing, you can make all the difference for them being in a dark place to not being in a dark place. All, all people want to know is that they're cared for and they're gotten. And we, we can all take that on and, and then people will feel less alone. So. Yes. So listen, I want to thank you again, Michelle, for coming and sharing with us for two weeks. So we have a lot of meat on the table. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Dr. Nutt. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for, for you know, offering this to your listeners that we can together, like, really humanize mental health and yes. help people get that it's just brain health. So thank yes. you. Yes. And listen, listeners, I want to remind you, this is Michelle E. Dickinson, author of Breaking Into My Life, and she is also a mental health advocate. So I want you to reach out, get her book, go to her website, check out what she has going on and listen. If listen, if you didn't catch the interview last week, go and listen. It is powerful. It will be meat to your soul. And don't just listen, share it with someone else so that we can ensure that the information is getting out on mental health and um, it's a conversation that we definitely need to have. So thanks again for tuning in and I will see you next time. Or basically, I will be talking to you next time. <laughs> Bye. As we close, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, on Apple iTunes or your favorite platform, please do so today. Share a comment and give a five-star rating. Join my mailing list at drannettewestministries at gmail.com. Also, purchase a copy of my newest book, Holistic Wellness, Mind, Body, Spirit, on Amazon or at drannettewestministries.org webpage. Keep tuning in every week. I guarantee you will be blessed.